Welcome back to the Rebels Rewatch. Today we're talking about the Protector of Concord Dawn. So how appropriate that the month that we are finally getting around to talking about every little detail there is about The Mandalorian Season 1, we lead in with the first Rebels Rewatch being about a Mandalorian. A Mandalorian. Yes, it's Mandalorian adjacent episode time today. Uh, we actually have two really good character-focused episodes. Um, kind of talked about it at the tail end of the last one, but you know, you kind of go on these family adventures, and then you have your individual, oh, this is so-and-so's day to kind of grow up as a person. Uh, and then every now and then you yeah. have that once in a while, hey, here's that person you've heard of. Uh, they're going to take over for today. It's like SNL this week, you know. <laughs> With a musical guest, Shug Knight. Right. Uh, that's a Star Wars I would see. But um, I'm much more here for these kinds of episodes because when uh, because they're so individualized episodes. Like, very rarely do we get two-parters. Do we get something that directly leads to the next? Usually that's finales or big stuff. Mm -hmm. um, everything's in this small 22-minute window. So with that, the best Re Rebels episodes, I think, are the ones where it's one character's episode. This yeah. is... Sabine's episode you know and then next we're going to talk about Zeb's episode it's theirs and so uh they're completely able to shine and highlight uh and all of the focus of growth goes to them yeah and I think that's the benefit of having a long-form television show yeah um well and then you know they grow as individuals and then they grow together it's it's a rhythm for sure yeah um and as with many an episode, this one really just starts off with a rebel mission. The rebels need something. And of course, our ghost crew are the only ones who can get it done, um, which is nice. It's a simple setup. It always gets us going. Uh, the interesting thing about this week's mission or episode is that it involves passing through the area of Concord Dawn, mm -hmm. which if you listen to our main show this week would sound familiar because in Legends, that's the birthplace of Jango Fett. And this is uh, similarly in the system with Concordia, which I believe is where Vizsla's um, clan resides and where they were kind of hanging out uh, during the Clone Wars when, um, when Obi-Wan decided to investigate some goings on there. Um, and so this would all be very familiar territory, but this is one of the major first uh, canon appearances of this system. Mm -hmm. It was mentioned in the Clone Wars, but now we actually get to see it. Yeah, it's always interesting to see something that you hear so much about, whether it be in Legends or in canon, really. Because, like, we hear a lot about, I don't know, Dantooine. But, like, you <laughs> get to it. see it. Yeah. yeah. It's just fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's nice when it finally, oh, I heard yeah. of this, you know. You know, it'd be nice mm -hmm. to get that with Bothans. Right? Yes. Uh, for, remember that internet trend that kind of died out for a while? We're bringing it back. Is it a Bothan? Uh, not in this episode. No Bothan. Twitter's Bothans. not dead. Huh? That Twitter's not dead. It's not dead. It's just it was all over and then it wasn't. Um, and that's because it wasn't Star Wars Celebration anymore. Well, where That was very trendy. Because honestly, <laughs> you get tired after a while without Bothans. <laughs> yes. Many apparently. Bothans died to bring us this meme. Well, apparently they all, they all did because we don't know where they are. Mm -hmm. um, so 
this takes the rebels through they have to get some supplies through uh to another system and they have to pass directly through uh concord dawn's territory and essentially what you have happening is the tried and true of hey we need to get from point a to point b and there's something in the middle this something in the middle just happening to be uh mandalorian protectors so these are mandalorians uh tried and true um who following the clone wars and just overall sort of scattering of mandalorian forces yeah uh have been kept around and employed by the empire to secure these areas which now we have context for that oh yeah so this is kind of smart on the empire's part just because to, they could just take out the Mandalorians, but to leave them around and make most use of them, it's kind of nice. Um, and what we come to find out is that actually a pretty well-known Mandalorian amongst Mandalorian people uh, is actually in charge of the operation here, that being Finn Rao. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is the perspective that we get in terms of Sabine has her perspective of Finn Rao and these Mandalorians, and Kanan has his perspective of Finn Rao and these Mandalorians. And that's sort of the, yeah. uh, the challenge of the episode is when things get personal, how, wh- whose perspective do we take? Do we take the one of make peace or do we take the one of destroy? Um, because on the first run, obviously you send your best pilot to get the shipment through and that's Hera. And she actually gets shot down. And I really like the action of that scene. Um, it jumps at you really quick and it shows off the capabilities of the Mandalorians mm-hmm. and it ends on a really good jump cut of uh, Hera and Finn kind of chicken playing chicken together. And the next thing you see is that her ship just comes out of hyperspace mm-hmm. and that's when they notice, Oh no, it's been shot to heck. Um, it's just a really good like tension builder because in the back of them, in the back of your mind, if it's not serious, I don't think anybody has even the slightest hint of any of these characters not being okay. Yeah. But when it moves so quickly and so hard, I think it forces you to actually consider, oh man, did they really just do that? Mm-hmm. So, with Hera kind of being out of commission because of the attack, that's when Sabine drops the info on. Finn Rao and the Mandalorian protectors. And one cool thing is that he has a little symbol on the top of his helmet, which is a nod to other concept art of Boba Fett's. Almost everything, if you see something yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's just Boba Fett. Well, it's concept art. I mean, it's yeah. it's always going to be uh, some Ralph McQuarrie uh, stuff and whatnot. Yeah, I was going to ask what the little creature is. And it also looks like it's kind of J-Guys a little bit. Well, it would it was around that concept art era for Boba Fett, so that would have been an element. It was um, just something adorning his helmet. I don't know if they uh, specifically have ever said what it's supposed to be. If it's yeah. a variation of uh, the Mythosaur skull, or if it's its own thing, but it seems to be exclusive to Rao and his people mm-hmm. as sort of a symbol. It might even be entirely a Mandalorian protector's symbol. But basically, like the Mandalorian protectors are like the Marines of the um, the Mandalorians. So these guys that he's leading were at one point the best of the best, and arguably that's why they're being kept around and paid by the Empire. It's just because the Empire doesn't want to have to mess with them. Yeah. 
and it figures if we keep them paid and happy, then it'll all be okay. But these are once very reputable, honorable people. Um, not all Mandalorians were Death Watch, and not all Mandalorians were bad. Um, though we do get something interesting later uh, because of just how much things build up with Sabine and Finn and her endeavor to challenge uh, him. And th there's like this personal pride that comes up with her having to do something and take out Finn, not mm -hmm. just because of Hera, just also because she's Mandalorian. Um, and so she challenges him to single combat, something that'd be familiar if you've seen the Clone Wars. Um, but it was this honor code of one-on-one -on -one battle. Whoever wins, their their way is right. Mm -hmm. um, and there she states her credentials, and she's actually uh, Sabine Wren of House Wren of Clan Vizsla. And so that was wow. a pretty big, what? <laughs> it's just, it's, every time I hear a long-winded name like that, I'm always just like, Ezio Alditore <laughs> Well, it's not, it's, it's her name and her house and her clan. And so yeah. that's what identifies you. And that's what makes you matter in Mandalorian culture. Mm -hmm. If you belong to either a house of uh, power or a clan of power, which Rin wasn't a thing until we met Sabine. So that wouldn't mm -hmm. have meant anything to anybody, but her being of house Vizsla or a uh, clan Vizsla, yeah. because essentially what it is, is you have these bigger clans that actually have all the power and they're arguably not literally, but they're like the pure bloods. They're, they're, clan has existed the longest and has remained the most consistent in power and control and over time they have basically absorbed these smaller houses and said hey you know dedicate your people your resources your your warriors to our our house uh and your our power is your power essentially okay and so house rin was under clan Vizsla. So uh pre Vizsla and his house would have been over theirs. So I'm Megan from House Wilcox with Clan, clan Vincent. Cl yes. Yeah, clan Vincent. <laughs> yeah you if go. you can look at it, that's a that's a good way to put it is, you yeah. know, um from so, Charlotte. Yeah. Um and so it was just interesting kind of getting some info. And but this is also leading towards a lot of lore building that was not there in canon for Mandalorians, houses and clans and all this other stuff. I mean, at, even Clone Wars wise, at one point, all we saw was that there's a monarch who's in charge and represents the planet and people. Mm -hmm. We basically saw Mandalorians uh, as warriors being old school, archaic, um, kind of shadows of the past. Mm -hmm. So to see that there's still this tribe mentality, there's still this sort of um, ritualistic mentality to the practice of Mandalorians was starting to lead towards what we'll see more of later and give way to things that we even see in um, the Mandalorian. Um, him being a foundling, he would probably not have had um, any sort of affiliations like that, which is probably why he's very looked down on because if it came to his sort of credentials as a Mandalorian, mm -hmm. he doesn't really have any. Uh, without a house and a clan, I mean, who are you? Yeah. Like, you could just wear the armor but not really be there. That's the significance of, like, Jango Fett not being real. And that's what opens the back door to that being a, that being a sort of headcanon for what they meant when they said he's not Mandalorian. 
And that could also be a point of why he doesn't take off his helmet, but Sabine and Finn Rao do. Right. It's like, they're legit Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. They don't have to worry about their helmets, but if you're like a grunt Mandalorian... Yeah, maybe. well, and that's actually I why I feel like that edition is later. Like, it's new to us, and I feel like it's new to canon. I feel like they're not saying that's always been what we Mandalorians do. No, I like... I think that that's something new that's introduced post-war in that, you know, mm-hmm. either we all have to be mindful of our heritage, therefore we don't show our face. Yeah. Um, arguably, because, I mean, if you look at it during the Clone Wars, essentially they disarmed. They, they un, you know, they took off their armor and exposed themselves and sought peace. And look what that got them. That got them entangled with the Republic. That got them entangled with the Sith. That got them entangled with the Empire. Mm-hmm. So it could almost be this sort of honorable cleansing of, no, we don't take off the armor. We don't forget who we are. Yeah. If we're out and about, we are Mandalorians. It's like Mormons in their magic underwear. <laughs> sure. I'll explain later. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, so, I, I mean, I kind of see that being a new addition because of these sorts of things, because of the sort of degrading of mandalorian culture i mean even here i mean they're guns for hire that's what mandalorians have been reduced to Mm -hmm. is everybody knows we're good fighters we're good um warriors so the only thing we really have going for us and the only thing that makes us remain useful is that and that's really what finn rao has kind of relegated himself to um what's really cool is we get a really great scene when um so they need to get the supplies through and basically they send Kanan on a covert mission to destroy the fighters, but he actually wants to make peace. But Sabine sneaks in with him because she wants to destroy the fighters. She's got just this embitterment. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll be able to dig more into that later. I don't recall there being any particular explanation other than she was just kind of bitter with Mandalorians in general, mm-hmm. um, which again we'll we'll kind of get to but i think she's just kind of projecting on finn rao because yeah. he seems to be the first mandalorian she's re-encountered since a lot of other baggage has happened and i also think that this could be you know evidence for the fact that clan Vizsla got beef with everybody well it's Vizsla, so i mean they're the reason that <laughs> yeah. kind of led them to a civil war and all this other stuff so I yeah there there's a reason that the guy that was salty with the mando his last name was Vizsla. so <laughs> right like, uh different spelling though yes. that that's i don't know what that means because technically shea Vizsla from uh knights of the old republic uh was a part of clan Vizsla, but again it got changed technically pre Vizslas was the one that was changed Mm-hmm. Uh, but Vizsla has always been the house of Death Watch. And post Vizsla. Um, it was, uh, I mean, Tor Vizsla was the Jedi, the Mandalorian turned Jedi. That's canon. Yeah. Um, like how you just like there glided was, past my joke. I didn't hear your joke. Post Vizsla. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the one that was actually responsible in Legends for killing Jango's parents and as well Jaster Muriel, but uh, he was a Vizsla. Like, Vizsla's always been the bad face of Mandalorians. Uh, so yeah. that, again, that goes back. That's why it's significant that, wait, this character we started to love is associated with that. That's interesting. And that does lead towards some interesting lore later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, definitely having Vizsla thrown around, it's something to kind of perk your ears up to. Uh, so, yeah, maybe it, she's kind of just acting out of being the face of 
Vizsla. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that, you know, that she's felt treated wrong that way. And so she's kind of just lashing out. Uh, I know that some of it does come down to just wanting to make up for Hera. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely more than that when you're putting your personal feelings above the mission, which is just getting the supplies through. Yeah. No, you want to kill the Mandalorians. You want to hurt them. And I think it's this is another, you know, piece of a giant puzzle of what a last name means in Star Wars. Uh, well, of what a... I mean, there's no telling how mingled yeah. Rin and Vizsla... Maybe a legacy would be a better... Yeah, I mean, you're definitely... Well, if anything, I would say, say it's where you're from. I mean, yeah. you know, more than likely, they're from a place that's, for all intents and purposes, owned by Vizsla. She would have yeah. grown up and gone to schools that Vizsla paid for and Vizsla approved. And I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about just the overall control of that house. Yeah. So it, it's the same thing, I think, of associating growing up in the South or growing up in a certain state or growing up in a certain city, you know, these things that you attribute to a people like, oh, people from Atlanta are like this, or people from, you know, Kentucky are like this, or people from the U.S. are like this. No one has negative opinions about the South. What are you talking about? Well, everybody has negative opinions about everything. So (laughs) I I feel like there's always a little bit of us that's always trying to work against that. Like, no, I'm not like the others. No, I'm different. No, I'm but it's about the right way to do that. It's okay to try and set an example. But again, when you do that just for the sake of the name and not for your yourself and your character, then you're missing the point. I mean, some would still say that's an honorable battle. But when you care more about the name than yourself, that's different. Mm-hmm. When you care more about being a good American than being a good you or good this more than you be care about being a good you like you can put that on anything yeah anything you care more about the label of than actually yourself that's just you're putting your eggs in the wrong basket at that point i think don't and that's what it's heavy (laughs) and that's what sabine's doing is she's Mm -hmm. just putting all of it towards you know just this embitterment she has i think like you've brought up associated with that that name and everything and so uh but Kanan gets some really good uh, Jedi Kanan moments because he yes, goes he about the way of peace and he goes to talk to Finn Rao. Uh-huh. And I like the exchange that they're able to have. I like the whole, because what's interesting is they mentioned something and it's actually in the Kanan comics about the Battle of Megiddo, which is where Finn Rao was first introduced. So there's little lore bits kind of intermingled, or I don't want to say he was first introduced there, but there we see what they're talking about. Yeah, they were both witnesses to the that battle from different perspectives, um, and that's their common ground. They're both people of war. They're both people that have been affected and changed by war. The Jedi are gone. Mandalorian culture is gone, and so Kanan's trying to level the playing field of, look, we're trying to help. Like you can't say that you feel good about helping the Empire. You can't say that you feel honorable. Like is this really what it means to be a Mandalorian? All of these things. So he's trying to appeal to him in a great way. And the stupidest thing is <laughs> Sabine can't let, let Sabine it. just like comes in literally guns a blazing. Yeah. Um, so technically when Finn Rao is finally just like, all right, that's it. I'm destroying your fleet. I'm just, I'm putting an end to this. Kind of justified. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because he was on the verge of peace with Kanan when Sabine showed up and uh, challenged him to single combat. But technically she actually hurt her honor by 
cheating. It was a it was a guise to trick them into lowering their guards so she could destroy their ships. Yeah, that was um. Dirty. I mean, good tactic for getting the mission done, but as as a Mandalorian, your honor should matter more than that. So by challenging to single combat, that's not a tactic. That's your honor. That's legit. You don't waste that. Yeah. Well, it's it's that favor you don't pull with that friend just to get something you want. Like yeah. you don't call on your your character that way. So it's it's definitely interesting. And if anything, that would only feed why Finn Rowell's just kind of like, I don't like you people. <laughs> I think at the beginning of every episode that we talk about Mandalorians, we just need like a voice clip of Dante Bosco saying honor. Right. Honor. So, uh, but ultimately they're able to, in a roundabout way, save Finn Rowell that leads him to, in debt, uh, allow them through for the sake of saving his life, which for now, the... The good thing is just that that gets the mission done. It gets them through to get the assistance to the others uh, that they need. Uh, and for now has gotten the Mandalorians off their shoulders. But they're definitely not joining the Rebellion anytime soon. Not yet. Not yet. Oh, yeah. You know it's going to happen. I mean, <laughs> they're not getting introduced just to have one minor episode. The Mandalorians come back in big ways later on. But this definitely plants the seeds uh, for sure. Um, and it starts to remind, I think, Finn Rao of what's more important than surviving, and that's thriving. Mm-hmm. Next up, Legends of Lasat. So moving on to Lasat-centric episode. Yeah. Lasat Central, one might say. And as I said between, ep- between parts to you off-camera or off-mic... Well, lots have weird eyes. <laughs> yes, they do. Kind of makes me uncomfortable. Do you prefer this or do you prefer the sort of modern? It feels that I don't know if that's the way to put it, but the sort of uh, redo version, if that makes sense. What do you mean? So for uh, Jedi Fallen Order, for Jara, Jara Torpal, uh, who is a Lasat Jedi, um... they gave him actual eyes. Uh, and then that is carried over to the art for Zeb for uh, the Black Series figure and uh, some art uh, pieces. I haven't really looked. Let me get a look at them peepers. <laughs> Luckily, I have them within reach. Yeah. Let's, um, let's take. Oh wow! I don't like that. Like it. It's definitely more human eyes. Yeah. Uh, I. It's it's just all green with the pupil versus this very. It almost looks like a green apple with a hole in the bottom (laughs) (laughs) well Um, that's the thing is i think it works for the animated style well and i think that's the thing is i think if you put that in the very realistic uh canon jedi fallen order game Mm -hmm. i don't think it would sit well like i know a lot of people weren't huge fans of the change but i really liked it because i felt like i could i felt like it was realistic i felt like these eyes are very um connected and based on the concept art for Chewbacca there's elements that they just directly carried over sure but yeah I feel like it only yeah like only works this way also Um, the female Lasat here has Yubaba hair yeah just very old mystic lady (laughs) yeah which is very appropriate because this is a very spiritual uh episode unexpectedly yeah um Come to find out the Lasats are very... By the way, there's more than just Zeb. Um, yeah, by the way. 
the, the Lasats are very spiritual, uh, come to find out. Because once it's discovered that there actually are more, uh, we find out that they're, I don't want to say they're sort of current existence, but they're, they're very caught up with the prophecy of a new world and whatnot, yeah. which is sort of the plot for this episode is that, oh, there's more Lasat. Let's go find that trailer park that was destined for us to move to. Um, Shady Acres. It, it can almost be forgotten because I, I think that Zeb is very sidelined in terms of character development with the ghost crew, mm-hmm. but he is under the impression up until this episode that he is the last of his people. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he, he believes that the Empire eradicated uh, all others and that he alone exists. And in fact, he didn't do a good enough job in protecting them. And, you know, it, I guess that's part of why it's sort of sidelined is because he doesn't bring it up. He, like, yeah. he's not even super excited to find out there are Lasat. It's one of those things, like, there are characters who are like, how dare you try and manufacture character development for me? Mm-hmm. It's, I love characters like that who just refuse. <laughs> uh, right, like, to... no, this is... No, 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 this is my character. I refuse to grow. Um, well, I kind of see it at... So, just before we um, start to unpack that a little bit, this, the, this comes out of a very abrupt setup in that, essentially... Ezra's gotten some information from his good old buddy Hondo uh, about refugees that need help transporting. And that turns out to be a couple of Lasat who immediately know, um, oh, what's his, what's his rank again? What's his general Lasat rank? Captain. Captain. Captain Aurelius. Aurelius. Yes. Um, He, you know, he was the lead of the honor guard, which are meant to be like the top-notch protectors of the people and everything so Mm -hmm. that's why he in his mind believing that the Lasat are gone and eradicated by the empire he feels so responsible because he was literally in charge of the people that were supposed to protect the people so i i I do see it being easily as simple as oh no i have to resist character development (laughs) to make it more compelling but i also see it and i'm not thinking that you're criticizing the character development i mean that's that's one of my favorite character developments it's a very baseline way of making simplified character development seem complex Mm -hmm. is by making it unacceptable but i also from a characterization standpoint look at it as all of a sudden there's a lot more guilt in finding out there are Lasat still out there yeah because if everybody died the least he can do is say i did my best like i can't believe they're all gone but i i i did my best i mean yeah. i'm still here and i've got i've got my buddy kane and i've got this family this is good but all of a sudden with that past coming back in the form of survivors and refugees all of a sudden it's like wait so i've been out here doing this i gave up i moved on and there's all these other... So I've let down my people yeah. twice now. It's like the dad from 28 Weeks Later. Never seen it. You've never seen it? I've seen such 28 a good Days. Movie. Well, it, the main plot point of that is that there is a dad in the beginning of the movie that runs away from his family. And he escapes because his house got broken into by the Zambo Vampos. <laughs> I don't remember what the official story is. The runners. Yeah. yeah. 
but he thinks that everyone in his family is dead. Oh, but and they're not. No, his oh, wife wow. who watched him walk away is alive, and they and his kids are too, but yeah. they're immune. Yeah, that. Oh, that's right. We yeah. we okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's very similar sort of crash of fate. Yeah. Sort of spoilers, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I really like the complexity that it sets up because he's. You can see him being resistant to it because the big tough guy is not supposed to have backstory. The big tough guy is supposed to be the big tough guy. Yeah, my just shut up and lift stuff. <laughs> right? Yeah, that yeah developed his muscles. Yeah. Um. So for him to have all of a sudden this very compelling story, and all of a sudden, yeah, wait, he's not muscle guy. He was honor guard. That sounds like a real job. That sounds like something a person would actually like. You know, it's almost this resistance to, oh, wait, what? He yeah. he did things other than smuggle and throw stuff and grr. Like, it's really yeah. fleshing out that we, when you meet someone post-trauma, they're never who they were. Mm-hmm. When you meet someone in their current circumstances, that you, it's unfair to hold them to their previous one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really hard. And there's a lot of circumstances pre- people could probably bring up and that that's wrong and that's bad and that what about this but i just i really feel strongly that current me both can't hold a light to past me and shouldn't be compared to past me yeah um now do i have to make sure that current me becomes future me and doesn't revert back to past me yeah i have to work on that i can't forget that there is a past me but to constantly hold comparison to past me as if that devalues current me yeah uh is unfair to me and so looking at zeb in all this perspective of well but he's the angry one that fights with the droid and throws things and lifts things there's no way he could really have this position of honor guard there's no way he could have been this like big reputable figure because these when they see him they like see hope when when uh these two other lasat find out about you know zeb is alive like that's something that means something to them that's significant and so all of a sudden this character that is arguably very sidelined because of his archetype he matters and he's important to the story yeah tough guys matter (laughs) tough guys matter um and that's not a criticism or joke of uh any particular statements or movements no it's just a state that's That's a statement of its own yeah, Terry um, Crews has feelings. Just because it's not that big of a deal um, in terms of the rest of the thing, I just feel like I have to just go ahead and quickly just say that the whole exchange, because again, Hondo got them the information for this. Yeah, that's so the whole, Yeah, the Empire finds them, checks, like, it's just hilarious. I love, he gets found out by the Empire and basically calls, uh, he calls Ezra to basically be like, hey... So the Empire knows where you are. Just thought I'd get a, give you a courtesy call. And in the background, you hear the troopers like, you know, oh, search over there. Like It's just yeah. like you hear the two circumstances coming to clash. And it's, it's just really funny. funny. I, I love anything with Hondo so much. Dude, he makes rebels sometimes. Oh, me, yeah. He, he's great. So this is where we start to get into the spiritual stuff. Okay. So they make mention of, all right, why are they refugees? What are, what, what are they doing? They're trying to get to Lyrasan, this myth- mythical promised land uh, for the people. Um, basically, 
there was this idea that their their home world would go away and then they were supposed to be led by the ashla to this new place the ashla being their interpretation of the force and, mm-hmm. and whatnot um and it would seem that they're very close to this version of the force because whereas you would mostly think that okay honor guard he dealt with weapons he didn't deal with bibles but turns out he his, not, his weapon yeah. is actually a staff that communes with the ashla to help lead huh. the way so it's this weird thing of like religion permeating every aspect like you you would think weird sage lady yeah is over here in one corner and honor guard soldier boys over here but they actually intersect in in this belief so it seems like that the lasats are very spiritual people yeah it's like thinking you're a barbarian but you're actually a paladin right but you just happen to know how to wield a sword (laughs) exactly like a paladin um how do you feel about the whole sort of force navigation thing that happens i mean it's nothing new i mean kind of yeah <laughs> i don't well uh... it's it's new it's in a new perspective okay yeah. i i love different interpretations of the force True. the ashla is an interesting concept because like the night sisters have their own version of the force um whatever zuckus Zuckus's uh, people, the Gand. yeah, the Gand mm-hmm. have their own version of a force, mm-hmm. and it's just it's interesting to explore mm-hmm. all the different ones. One, uh, one Age of the Republic issue, um, Qui Gon basically doesn't use hyperspace navigation; he uses the force, um, which is essentially what happens here. Mm-hmm. They get to a point where star maps end, like you're supposed to go here, but there's no here, um, and it turns out they're meant to use the Ashla to guide them there. Yeah. Um, it's a very similar thing in that for Qui-Gon to experience what he experienced, he had to trust the Force to get him there. Uh, it, it's very interesting because it caused a question, like, is this just something that is kind of there in general, or is this just a Lasat thing? Mm-hmm. Is this predestined by the Force, or is this something they just found out they could always do? Like, it opens yeah. a lot of questions it's like psychometry is that there's different there's different abilities within the force what what makes these people have that yeah 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 it's it's very interesting to think about well it's almost as if the force gifts particular groups and people particular things and they're meant to use that in conjunction with each other not separately like cyphideus uh yeah well like yeah with visions and all that other stuff like you're, you, I mean, you have your uh, prophesiers, you, know, you have your vision people, you have your, like, I almost see them, like, what if Star Maps as we know it is a product of Lasats? What if, because of their sort of force navigation, mm-hmm. they helped us understand Star Maps and build a map? You know, then you have your psychometry people, like, these are the, the readers, they, they read objects and people. Um, I think sometimes we boil the force down to its most simplest things in, you know, telekinetic power Yeah, that we almost forget that what if, what if there's particular force economies that yeah. certain people can tap into? And, and again, the way I see it is what if not everybody's supposed to be able to navigate with the force? What if it's these people's thing 
and they're meant to work with the other people and they're meant to work with the other people. Like, like bending. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Like w- obviously a water bender cannot move the mountain to make a waterfall. You need to work with someone else who has the ability. Look at that. Yeah, Look at well, you being t- uh, Towson or whatever well, his name is. I mean, is. if you want to make a town, you need one of every bender. That's just a fact of it. And I think that when if you want to build a galaxy, you need one yeah. of every type. And you well, need a Kyoshi to punch the town. <laughs> yeah. So I think that rather than get, like, I think that the galaxy and, and the Jedi mm-hmm. being the biggest uh, representative of it, I think they got caught up with the whole, if you have the force, you're meant to be this. Like, oh, that's cute. You believe in the Ashla. Well, you, you know, really, you're supposed to be a Jedi because you mm-hmm. can lift rocks. Like, you know, if you have the force, you should come to be with us. Which makes me think, like, how do you think, um, what's his name? Ooh, Cal's uh, master from, or was he the master or was he just hanging out who? Uh, from Jedi Fallen Order? Uh, the Lasat. Uh, no, he was his master. Okay. Jar Tapal. Okay, thank you. Who's like, it? do you think that he was still in tune with the Ashla as a Jedi? Or do you think? I, like, I think he's an example of someone who was in tune with the Ashla that got told no, buddy, that's the force. Come come learn our ways and you'll better understand. Like, And, that, and that's what I'm talking about is this colonialization of the force, basically. Yeah. This idea of, oh, you think that's civilization? Let's let's take, oh, take you in hand and show you what civilization is. It should look like this. Nobody I, expects the Jedi Inquisition. Well, but it's the idea of you're doing it to help advance these people. But in reality, you're putting everything in one basket as if everybody is meant to have everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the Jedi have a rule on the wall that says all Jedi are supposed to have all powers share accordingly. But I believe there is a bit of a mindness to it of if you try hard enough, you could have psychometry too, but that's not maybe the way it's meant to be. Not everybody is meant to have the gifts just because you work hard enough. Yeah. I, I, I think the Lasada are a great example of maybe you're only gifted in one area, but that you're gifted still nonetheless. Like you're still gifted in a way. And so rather than work to be generally good at everything, just work to be specially good at one thing, maybe. Yeah. So I just I think this is really interesting for what it reveals and, and points to about the force and, and I just the more we can open the window and understand about the force, the more I'm always interested in. And if that's not something that can be appreciated about rebels, uh, especially when the Bindu gets introduced, I mean, you know, I want to know about the water Buffalo, John. It, it pushed the barriers of what we understand. It tried new things and I, I appreciate it greatly for it. Huh. Well, hopefully you enjoyed the conversations and uh, hopefully you have, your own ideas about these episodes. Hopefully we weren't your way of digesting those. You should definitely go watch the episodes yourself uh, and let us know what you think. Um, These are two very interesting ones. And between the whole Mandalorian helmet wearing thing and the Ashla force navigation thing, I think two very interesting conversations got started and we'd love to hear what you think about those uh, and definitely what your interpretation of them is so you can hit us up on twitter instagram facebook all that good stuff and start the conversation with us we would absolutely love that otherwise we'll be here next week with uh more rebels uh we got some interesting ones ahead and we're slowly chugging our way to the greatest part of 
I'd say all of Rebels, in my opinion, and that's that season two finale. Okay. Uh, that's my favorite uh, Rebels content, and I just can't wait to get there uh, and can't wait to blow your mind. Not to be that guy, but where's Maul? Uh, at the finale. Okay. So, Let's yeah, do it. we're, we're tr- slowly getting there. Uh, if you can't tell, we're doing about two yeah. episodes a week. So we should be there before we know it. I believe this was like episode 14 or something like that. Oh so a couple weeks and we'll be there uh, and we're looking forward to it. If you have any input on any Rebels episodes, if you're just like, man, I love this. I love that. That was cool. Yeah. Feel free to Remember let I us know. Uh, never mind. <laughs> uh, scratch all of that. Uh, but you can let us know other things you love on social media. Thank you to our patrons, Jim, Doug, and Rebecca, for all of your support in making this happen. Thank you for everybody that listens and puts up with this weirdness. I think Rebels is probably our most tame of all episodes, so I don't think this one uh, is much minded in yeah. being dealt with. I think the madness happens on the main show and Nerdyverse and all that. So I mean, I can start the madness. If no, we want the let's, madness. Le- let's leave it there. But, um, but John. Be sure to expose yourself to that madness. Um, we just put out great episode about uh, the Fett family, as well as our first Nerdyverse topic discussion about the 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah. So, uh, and then just keep an eye out for what's coming next, because uh, we're excited about everything, literally everything that we're doing. That's why we're doing it. <laughs> That's a hint if you can hear it. So. I don't know. Yeah. We'll get there. (laughs) Have a great week. Master Chief. Master Chief. Master your chef.